Hey, this is Scott Taylor. I am so glad that you have joined us. I'm the pastor of Turning Point Church, and we would love to connect with you. You can connect with us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at TPCGVL, or you could text the word CONNECT to 864-479-4483. We've got a word for you today that I hope challenges you and inspires you. Before we dive into the Word, I just want to share a a whole chapter of the Bible with you. All right, but don't freak out because it's only five verses. It's found in Psalm 100. This was not in my notes. It's just something as I was praying and thinking about you this morning that God just laid on my heart. And so I want to share this with you. Psalm 100, uh, beginning at verse 1, it says, Make a joyful noise. Shout to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. See, it all ties in. Come before his presence with singing. Now, let's just pause right there. Come before his presence with singing. You guys know that I've told you before, I can't sing. But when I do sing, no matter how low it is under my breath, when I do sing to God and I am worshiping, it is a joyful noise to God. And so even if you're singing off key, if you're flat, if you're pitchy, if you're whatever, I don't know what I am, I'm probably all over the place. But when I do, no matter what it sounds like to your ear, it's worship to God in his heart. And that's what he's looking for. Know that the Lord, he is God. That's quite a statement right there. We should live our life knowing that he is God. And you know what I think? That if we lived our life knowing that he is God, and we live that with that thought and that knowledge in the front of our mind, I think it would change the way we live. I think it would change the how we woke up. I think it would change how grateful we are. Because I don't think what's happened in our society and in our church world, I don't think that God has changed. Because God doesn't change. The Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think probably what has changed is our gratitude to him. Maybe our desires have what's been the thing that's changed. Right? Like we are desiring different things. Know that he is God. And it is he who has made us, not we ourselves. And that's an attitude of worship right there. And I'm dangerous because I'm going off script because this was not part of what I'd studied to talk to you about. So I'm trying not to go off on a tangent here. But I think it's really important that we understand that it is he who has made us, not we ourselves. You hear the term self-made man. You hear the term self-made woman. Well, look, you can put your effort in, but listen to me. We got to keep in perspective that God is priority and he is first. He made us. Nothing we have, we've gotten on our own. Except the messes we make. Amen. Through the wrong decisions. But here's the good part. We are his people. And the sheep of his pasture, God cares. 
And here's the challenge to you when you come in the door on a Sunday. This is your preparation Monday through Saturday. We are to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We're to live a life that is thankful. And we're to enter into these gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. So we've, uh, years ago, I did a message on this where I brought two people up and we named one of them Thanksgiving and we named one of them Praise. And we are to enter into the church house with thanksgiving and with praise. You know, if we entered into his church house with thanksgiving and with praise, it would change the dynamic of our church service. Because we wouldn't come in looking for something we would bring it with us. It wouldn't be up to Jamie to sing the right song according to you and your preference. And You with me? But when we enter into with thanksgiving and with praise, we're living a thankful life and we're bringing our praise to God with us. And that matters. And look at what it says next. Be thankful to him and bless his name. But he decided that he's going to go all in. And he goes to Yale University. And he gets to Yale University. And this sounds weird to us. It sounds ridiculous to us. But he got to Yale. And he was a little thrown off and taken aback from the amount of, of, of people that weren't living for God there. And how the, the teachings was, was about philosophy and all the wrong things. So that's kind of when it started. And he was blown away. And so he asked a friend if he would come. His friend would help him pray before breakfast every morning. And so his freshman year, they began praying. And the pockets of prayer groups began to happen all over campus. And these influential people that would become influential people that were going to Yale came to Christ because people were praying. And by his senior year, there were 1,300 students in Yale University, and I don't know how many they have now, but 1,000 of the 1,300 students were participating in prayer groups. How awesome would that be? And so he decides that he's going to go all in. He's going to hold nothing back. He goes on to Princeton University to study theology and, and he, he graduates from Princeton University and he decides that he's going to go to parts of the world and he's going to teach the Muslims and he's going to preach to the Muslims and he's going to try to convert them. And in his Bible, he wrote the words, no retreat. So think about the mentality of this Teenage millionaire, now in his early 20s, no reserve, he's going to hold nothing back, no retreat, he's going to keep moving forward, no matter what comes against him, no matter what he faces, he's going to continue to move forward, he's not going to retreat. So on his way to, the, to, to preaching to the Muslim, he stops over in Egypt, he's going to start beginning to learn Arabic, and when he gets there, he, he, he gets menin spinal meningitis, and he's and he, 24 years old, he passes away. And you may think, oh man, what he could have been, what he could have done. But imagine the impact that he had on people. Imagine the impact that he had on those people who had come and been part of that prayer group. And, and they graduated from Yale and they went on to run businesses and start businesses and be 
influential and I don't have names for you or anything, but just imagine what that would have been like. And imagine what his parents and his friends thought. Oh, what a wasted life. Oh, what could have been. But they took his Bible and they found something that he had written in his last days. No regrets. So here's a man who graduated high school, a millionaire, decided that he was going to go into the mission field and hold nothing back. He went to, to Yale University and he decided he was going to make a difference. And 1,000 of the 1,300 students were participating in prayer groups. He turned that school around. And he's on his way to, for his life's purpose to make a difference in the world. And he dies early at 24 years old. And he says, no regrets. I don't regret anything I've done. They say when you die and you're on your, your deathbed right before that happens that you don't look back and regret the things you've done. You look back and regret the things you didn't do. I think we live the life of regrets of things we've done and things we've said and things that's happened to us. I think that's why we're living. But I think when it gets to the end and you're really reflective on what's most important and what's been most important, you reflect on the opportunities that you didn't take. You reflect on the things that you didn't do, the callings that you didn't walk, the purpose that you didn't find. And I think if we can live to, the, to our deathbed and the end of our time and we can live our life by these three phrases, we'd be doing pretty good. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. That's really what I've been trying to get to you. Through this is, is not, have, not to hold back. Go all in for God. Go all in and put him first. Put him number one. Don't retreat. Don't go backwards. Don't quit. Look around the room. I'm going to call it for what it is. We've had people that have quit. We've had people that have walked away. We've had people that have tried to find their own way and they're not happy. And no regrets. They may get to the end of, that, of their life and just regret the decisions they've made. No reserve, no retreat, and no regrets. So today we're going to take a look at this, that an account that happened in the Bible, again, leading up to the crucifixion, arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus is now understanding that in this very moment, the story we're going to talk about, he's in his last supper, in his last time that he will have all of his 12 disciples together. And he's saying, okay, this is my last opportunity. I know what's coming. I know what's happening. It's my last opportunity to show them my heart and tell them what's most important to me. And so we find that in John chapter 13. And it's called the Last Supper. And so they've had the Last Supper and the supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Talking about betraying Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So, so God, Jesus understood who he was, where he was from, and where he was going. But he also looked. He also understood what was going to happen. He understood that Judas Iscariot was already had in his mind and already agreed to betray him. Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Let me put you at ease. We're not going to have a foot washing service today. But we are going to take a look at Jesus' ultimate example of serving. In Jesus' last moments with his disciples, before he was arrested, before he was taken and crucified, he understood that he had to show them his heart. And he wanted to show them that his heart was that of a servant. He understood that he needed to do this because the disciples did not get it. They had actually just had an argument with amongst themselves of who was going to be the greatest. They were still more concerned about who was going to be sitting at the right hand of Jesus because they knew that he was the Savior and they had in his mind that he was going to have an earthly reign. They didn't understand that he was there to fill Isaiah 53, that he was going to be a, a, a humble servant, not a king that's going to walk in with pomp and circumstances and, and jewels in his crown and fancy robes and all this power. They had just experienced a triumphant entry into Jerusalem where people were laying palm branches at the feet of Jesus and they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. These guys were rock stars, man. And they were arguing among themselves of who was going to be the greatest, who was going to sit at the right hand, who was going to be number two guy, who was going to be second in charge, who was going to have the most power amongst the normal people. That's what they were arguing about. And Jesus understood that they needed a different mindset. Listen to me. Jesus understood that they were not there to fulfill the, the, the mindset and the expectations of the people on earth, but they were there to fulfill these expectations of God. That's why he says that he knew where he was from and he knew where he was going. It's up to us to not fulfill the expectations of society, but it's up to us to fulfill the expectations of God's word. Jesus has set the example for you and for me to live a life that honors God. And that Psalm 100 is right in line with, with that thought process. We should be more concerned about living life God's way than we are the world's way. But let me be clear about something. God does not expect you, and I can say this with a certain amount of authority here, God does not expect you to live like a hermit from the 1800s. It's okay to live a normal life, but you've got to put God first. Because here's the thing, if you live like a hermit from the 1800s, nobody's going to respect you. Everybody's going to look at you like you're a weirdo. <laughs> Amen. Okay. I'm not fussing at y'all. I'm just bringing you the word. Gee whiz. Settle down. So when people were walking around in this time in, in the story, they walked around in sandals. They rode donkeys. They did things like that. And there were streets were dirty. And, and when they would go in, it was customary for the lowest of the lowest servant to wash the feet of the people that were about to eat the invited guest because they had these low tables and they would re often recline at the table and feet would be in the way. I don't know about y'all, but feet are nasty, right? But their feet would be in the way. And so you would want to wash your feet before you sitting down to eat because your feet would be stinking. Like all y'all people that wear nasty sandals. Mistake. I remember I was sitting in school one time when 
I'm going to tell us when Sebagos were a thing. Only a few of you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. We had some Sebagos. And what you did with the Sebagos or the, or the docks is you didn't wear socks because they didn't have the low socks then. You know, you just went barefooted inside the shoes. And I remember I was sitting in school one day. And I was like, man, somebody's feet stank. It was me. My feet stank. So I never wore them after that. I always wore socks. So you would always wash the, the lowest servant would always wash the feet of those that were invited to the, to the party. Well, Jesus takes, goes in and he goes with his disciples and they sit down and nobody washes their feet. None of the disciples stood up and said, hey, let me wash y'all's feet. Jesus, let me wash your feet. They were arguing about who was the greatest and who was the most important and who was going to have the most power. They were riding the hive, walking into the town where everybody's singing Hosanna, 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 and laying down palm branches. They were like, we are the man. And so Jesus finishes supper, eating feet, eating with, you know, people with nasty feet. And he gets up and he takes it upon himself to do what no one else was willing to do. I think if my ministry so far has been anything it's been being willing to do what no one else was willing to do to fill the gap to fill the spot where no one else was willing to do it and jesus was willing to serve where no one else was willing to the king of kings the very son of god who said i didn't come to 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 be served but i came to serve He's the one that got up and girded himself with a towel. He's the one that got the basin of water. And he's the one that went around and washed people's feet. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a foot washing service. And, and I have back in the day. It's very humbling to have your feet washed. Much less to wash someone else's feet. And Jesus assumed the lowest role. Because it was reserved for the lowest and the least servant. Jesus assumed the lowest role to model for you and me the highest call. And that right there, if we don't say anything else the rest of the day, that's the one I want you to remember. Is that Jesus did what no one else was willing to do. He assumed the lowest role, the lowest role in the whole room. And in society, to model the highest call. The reason that I started serving as a chaplain and volunteering my time, you want to know why I did that? One, I had a heart for it. I wanted to be involved in the community. All of that is the right answer. But over time, you know what it developed into? Many of you work a full-time job and you serve here faithfully. And I wasn't going to let you work a full-time job and serve outside of work and me not do the same. So I was going to work a full-time job and I was going to serve faithfully. It's up to us to put our preferences aside and listen to me. Your role and your part to be part of the body of Christ. I hate to tell you this, but it's going to cost you something. 
It's going to cost you effort. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. But Jesus modeled for us the highest call. And no one has ever given more than Jesus. He gave it all. And you know what? I'm not beating up on the disciples. I'm not saying they should have. They, why didn't you? All oh, you guys are clueless. Because it wasn't the time. It wasn't the model. It, it, I don't blame them for not thinking. They were probably angry because there wasn't a servant there to wash their feet. But they didn't think about in their own mind to do it themselves because it was beneath them. But it wasn't beneath Jesus because he was willing to do what no one else was willing to. He served. That was his heart. So look at the reaction. Then he came to Simon Peter. He's washing people's feet. And Peter, leave it to Peter, man. Peter is always good for sermon illustrations. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus said, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter says, okay. Don't stop on my feet. Just go ahead and do the whole thing. I'm all in. And that was Peter's response. Peter was an all in kind of guy, even though we know that he would mess up in just a little while. He would deny Jesus three times. And then he says, you shouldn't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to be part of me. And Simon Peter says, Lord, not on my feet, but my hand, my head, just all in God, just do it all. I'm here. And then look at what Jesus said in verse 10. I'm going to probably make some people uncomfortable or even mad today. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. I, I, I despise the argument, once saved, always saved. Because I think it's a stupid argument. I think it's being caught up in what you can get by with, what you can do, what you can't do, whether or not I'm happy with you, whether or not you're happy with me, and da 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 So I don't think it's even an argument myself. Because I think what Jesus is showing us here is that perhaps you're not in danger of losing your salvation. What am I trying to say? Jesus' act of washing the disciples' feet illustrated their spiritual cleansing and the need to continually stay in fellowship with God. You've got to continually clean up the dirty areas of your life. It's up to you to maintain the right relationship with God. And if you're simply looking at, can I still do and be saved? Then you're missing the whole point. And I find that that's typically where the argument lies. If you have areas in your life that are displeasing to God, then it's up to you to take those things to him so he can forgive you and cleanse you of it. See, when you're saved, salvation leads to a life of sanctification. A 
Now, sanctification is the lifelong process of daily washing away of your sins. I'm just here to tell you, you can't wash away your sins on your own. When you come to Christ, He forgives you of your sins. He declares you righteous. He, he declares you just in justification. You are justified, right? Some of you 90s kids, I'm not talking about Justin Timberlake. I'm talking about what God declares as righteousness. And then you take on the sanctification of the continual process of you staying on your knees, humble before God, trying to live a life of righteousness. Sanctification is not perfection. Sanctification is simply you staying in right relationship with God. You don't just say a prayer, check a box, and you're done. Heaven's the next ride. No, 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 no. Salvation leads to a life of sanctification. And sanctification is a continual process of staying in right relationship with God and pleasing Him. Because if we confess our sins, God is just to forgive us. He's a God of justice. But He forgives you. And He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Being part of the body of Christ isn't about what you can get away with. It's about what you can contribute. And it starts with your relationship with God, trying to please Him, put Him first. So why do we serve? And by the way, when we're talking about serving, we're talking about serving His body, the church. And we're talking about serving your community. It's why we go and do what we do the first Saturday of the month. It's why we do the other things that we do in schools and in sheriff's office and different areas and different things that we can't even tell you about because it's people that we can't publicize the things we do with them. It's why we want to be involved in foreign missions. It's why we wanted, but we can't do that without you. But why do we serve others? Why do we serve his body? Why do we serve his community? Well, we can take some things from this story. Number one, Jesus is your example and your hope. Jesus assumed the lowest role to, mo to model the highest call. And if we would simply try to live our life like Jesus... most of your problems would go away because your desires would change and he is your hope. Jesus was not caught off guard by Judas's intentions. Some y'all get so frustrated with people. Some y'all get so off track when somebody does you wrong, says the wrong thing, hurts your feelings, does something they're not supposed to do, doesn't show up for what they're supposed to show up for, and it totally derails your life. Jesus 
could have got caught off guard, could have got derailed, could have got messed up, could have just totally changed everything when he found out Judas was going to mess, was going to betray him. Like not just betray him, but turn him over to those who would crucify him. So just cause somebody says something about you behind your back, ain't that. Can I just tell you that God knows what you're going through? Can I just tell you that God knows what you're going to face? Because he is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he is the same tomorrow. You know what that means? God is. So he was there yesterday, he's here today, and he's already waiting for you tomorrow. He already knows what you're going to face, and he is in control, and you need to stop worrying about it. You need to stop letting people derail you from your purpose. You need to stop letting people derail you from who you're supposed to be in Christ. Jesus wasn't caught off guard. Jesus knew. We, we read it earlier. Jesus knew that the devil had already gotten Judas's heart. The devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus knew. But he did not let it stop him from his purpose. Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins. He has the authority. He is the only one. He, he models that by washing their feet. Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins. He has the authority to make a difference in your life. Can I just say this? 11 of the 12 disciples only needed the, the, foot, the feet washed. The one, the devil was in his heart. Jesus is the only way. It goes back to that conversation I told you I had a few weeks ago. Jesus is the only way. He's not a way, he's the only way. And you're not going to find your way into eternity. You're not going to find your way into an eternal relationship with God by finding your way and finding your purpose and finding your this and finding your that. No, 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 no. It's about the way and the purpose that God has for you. And that is only through Jesus. No one else can do it for you. And by the way, no matter how good a person you are, it's not going to save you. Jesus wants you to know him personally. Why do I say that? What does that have to do with Jesus washing the disciples' feet and serving in the body and in the community? What does that have to do with anything? Judas was not saved by association. If Judas Iscariot could live with, walk with, travel with, listen to every sermon, minister in every town that Jesus was in, and he's still messed up, you think you can do it on your own? You think because mama and them are saved that you're going to get into heaven based on their relationship? No, no, no. You got to have your own relationship. Not even Judas, who was one of the 12 disciples, was saved by association. Jesus wants you to know him personally. 
Jesus wants you to have a personal relationship with him. He wants you to understand his heart. He wants you to live according to his heart and his way. And he shows us his heart in this story by serving. Jesus took the lowest role to model the highest call. And that's serving others. Having an others first life mentality and mindset. Starting with your relationship with God. Instead of what you want, focus on what God wants. That's what he wants from you. I've told you this before. God doesn't want to be priorities one through ten. He just wants to be one. Number one. If you'll put him first, you'll seek him first. All these other things. We talked about this last week. All the other things will be added. But it starts with putting him first. Just stand with me. My prayer for you today is this. That you would ask God today what he wants you to do. Because what God does not want you to do, I can tell you this with certainty. I'm just going to say it out loud. God does not want you to be a sometimer. God wants you to be an all-timer. All in. And God does not want you or need you to f- take up a seat. He wants you to be an active part of the body of Christ. There is no part of your body unless it's handicapped that does not function and does not contribute. And that's the same is true with the body of Christ. So what is it that God's calling you to do today? If you don't know, then ask him. If you haven't asked them, then seek him. Because God wants you to be healthy and whole. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, that you have given us your word. And Lord, we thank you that you took the lowest role, leading all the way to the cross to model the highest call. And God, help us to follow in your footsteps. to try to attain and achieve the call of God that on on our life. And Lord, we thank you for that, that you modeled for us, that we have a high priest that knows everything we have faced. And God, we're grateful that you're here today and you're there tomorrow. Lord, I just pray that you put in our hearts, give us clarity what you want us to do next. And God, just help us to seek to achieve your purpose for our life. And God, we ask it all. In Jesus' name. They're going to sing us out. This is your dismissal. They're going to do it in a way that will uplift you and take you out. But I want to be the first to invite you back next week. So I hope I'll see you next week. You guys have a good week this week. And we'll see you Sunday.